Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. To my 12 Stone friends and, of course, Pastor Kevin and the staff, I'm so excited to be with you today And I'm very honored to be able to share a message that's really on my heart that I think that when you hear it, you're going to say, this really connects with where I am. Because I would like to to talk to you today about God's purpose for for your life, God's purpose for my life. People come to me all the time and say, what do you think is is my purpose in life? And uh, where is my, what Simon Sinek would say, where's my why? Well, I think Jesus in his teaching, Sermon on the Mount, made it real clear what he really expects from you and what he really expects from me. So let's just just look at what Jesus talks about concerning our purpose today. In Matthew chapter 5, this is out of the message, verses 13 through 16, here's what Jesus says. Let me tell you why you are here. Now, the moment he starts teaching this to me, if I'm in the crowd, I'm kind of my ears are just open really loud because I'm waiting to hear, what what is Jesus saying to me? I mean, what... What, what is he saying is my reason for being here? He said, you're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you'll end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. You're going public with this as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light barriers, bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Jesus in this sermon basically says that you and I are to be salt and we're to be light in our culture, in our community. Now, I believe that so much as far as my purpose for being here on earth, that on my iPhone, literally, uh, my son uh, for Father's Day last year uh, gave me this beautiful salt shaker and and, and, and light bulb, and uh, you know, and basically I have under the scripture, and, and basically it reminds me visually to be these, be salt and light, because salt makes things better, light makes things brighter. And every time I pick up my phone, I'm, know my purpose, why I'm here, to make things better, to make things brighter for others. You see, this passage of Scripture helps me to really center in on my purpose for being here. And for you and me, I think that he has a plan for our life. But regardless of what our giftedness and vocation may be, he wants us to be salt and he wants us to be light. In our John Maxwell team, our coaching company, when we began to uh, certify them to become coaches, one of the first things we talked to them about is how to be a valuable person in the culture and how to value people and how to add value to people. And we have a statement that says, we are people of value who value people and add value to them. That's what this passage of Scripture is all about. Jesus values you. He values me because he said, look, I value you so much as you go into your community, as you go into your culture. I I value so much. I know you have the ability to make things better and you have the ability to make things brighter. 
but he also values the people that we're going to and to connect with because he said, I want you to make things better and brighter for them. Why? Because they deserve things to be better in their life. They deserve to have good light and things be brighter in their life. Pastor Kevin and I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago. And of course, I've had the real delight throughout my life. One of my highlights in mentoring people is mentoring him. And we were having a conversation where he said, John, you just value people to a degree that's higher than what most people do. And he said, would you mind maybe teaching a lesson to our congregation on on, on your journey, on your, how did you become a person that really valued people journey? And um, and I, I said, well, I, I've never really given it a lot of thought, except I just value people. But I said, if you want me to, I'll kind of go inside and try to figure it out. And I have. So I've never taught this lesson before. But Pastor Kevin wanted me to kind of share with you this journey. I, I want to say this before I begin. This is a little bit more about me than I would normally want it to be. I, I'm really not much into it being about me. I'm into a lot of being about you. But if I want to give you my journey of how I uh, got to a place of greatly valuing people, I guess I have to talk to you out of my life experiences. So if you'll allow me to do that, understanding that there's a higher purpose than it's all about me. The higher purpose is, hopefully, as I share with you my journey, you'll begin to go back and look at your journey and ask yourself, how am I progressing in valuing other people just as Jesus wants us to do by being salt and light? So let's go. This is my journey, how I pretty much processed and learned how to value people. Number one is my father's example. I was very fortunate uh, to have great parents. Uh, my mother passed away 11 years ago. My, my father, who is 98 and a half, is still alive. And he was just an incredible example of encouragement and valuing people. And so I visually grew up with parents that did this. So it was very natural to me, not because of anything that I had done, but because of the incredible visual example of mom and, and the visual example of dad. My father was a pastor. My father was a, a, a district superintendent, oversaw over 200 churches. He was a college president. And people loved him. And people loved him because he loved them. And he loved them because he valued them. And he was the first one who showed me the example of walking slowly through the crowd. He would go across the campus. I'm talking about maybe no more than 50, 75 yards from one point to another. And it sometimes would take him 10, 15 minutes because everybody that came by, they'd either stop him or he'd stop them and talk to them and call them by name. And I watched my father walk slowly through the crowd. When he turned 90, I can still remember us having a conversation in his, uh, in his office. And uh, he had just turned 90, we were celebrating his birthday, and he said, John, isn't it wonderful that the older a person gets, the more that they love people? And I said, well, Dad, that's not true. I said, I know a lot of people, they're getting, they're getting older, but they don't love people more. In fact, they're getting grouchier. But it's true for my father. And that day we had an interesting conversation, and the conversation went something like this. If you have good values and good qualities as a young person and you develop them, they become even greater as an older person. Just as the reverse is also true, if you have, uh, you know, poor qualities, bad qualities, bad, you, you know, if you don't value people as a young person, as you get older, you, you know, we, we, we either get better or, or, or we get worse because as we get older, our life get, begins to exaggerate our qualities and our traits. And for my father at 98 and a half, he's a beautiful man, but he's a beautiful man because he's always valued people. He gave me the greatest advice I ever had when I graduated from college. I said, Dad, I'm starting my pastoral ministry. Help me out. 
What advice do you have? And he gave me these words that have followed me all my life. They have been the grid for every lesson I teach, for every leadership meeting I have, for every book that I write. And here's what he said. He said, John, he said three things. Value people, believe in people, and unconditionally love people. He said, if you'll do those three things, he said, people will follow you, people will love you, and you'll be able to have a great influence with others. Because he said, very few people are truly valued. Most people don't have anybody that truly believes in them. And he said, almost, almost no one has ever been unconditionally loved. You do those three things, and he said, you'll be a magnet. People will be drawn to you, and of course, they'll be drawn to your Savior. Great advice. It stays with me today. It's still my grid of behavior of how I treat people. So I had a great example with my dad. And the values lesson out of that is very simple. This is huge. Don't miss it. How I value people determines how I view people. If I put a 10 on your head, if I think you're pretty wonderful and I value you, it's going to determine how I view you versus if I put like a a two on your head and I kind of devalue you. How I see you is how I'll uh, act around you, behave to you, respond around you. It's a huge principle. Number two, I'm still on my values journey. The second thing I would talk about would be my, what I call evangelism awakening. And again, I just have to be very brief with this. I I was a pastor at my first church and there was a man in the hospital named Jim. His two sisters went to our church. Jim did not. He did not know God. I I visited in the hospital for uh, every other day for, I suppose, a couple weeks. We really had a great relationship. In fact, it was so good. He said, John, when I get well and get out of the hospital, I'm going to come to your church. I told his sisters we were all excited and happy. And then something terrible happened. He died while he was in the hospital. And all of a sudden, I realized that I had never shared my faith with this man. And I realized that he was lost. It was a a, a very difficult, dark time in my life because I realized that I valued uh, somebody attending my church more than I valued me sharing my faith and, and, and bringing them into a relationship with God. I valued my agenda higher than God's agenda, which is to seek and save those which are lost for God so loved the world. And because I had so much value on my church and the size of my church and how well we were doing, I was competitive with other pastors. I I had a lot of junk, had a lot of sin in my life, had a lot of stuff that just wasn't solid, wasn't good. And I knew it wasn't going to hold me throughout my years of the ministry. And I knew I was going to have to make a major change. And I did, making a long story short, took me about six months of conviction, prayer, weeping, repentance. But I came to a place in my life where I just said, I want to value people and value souls more than I value pastor in a church, more than I I value what position I hold in the denomination. And and I I, I just had a real dying to self process. And and everything changed in my life. I would say catalytic in me valuing people. This was a major, major turnaround for me because all of a sudden I began to see people like Jesus sees them, people that need desperately need God. So when people ask me, John, what's your favorite thing that you do? Because they know I love everything I do. I love to write. I love to speak. I I, I love to lead. I, I love to build organizations, companies. I mean, they say, what, what's your favorite thing? Well, no, no, I love that. Love that. Love, But it's not my favorite thing. My favorite thing is sharing my faith, just one-on-one with any person that just needs to be connected with God. I I love connecting people with God. 
But that was a huge values U-turn, turnaround for me in my life. And the values lesson out of that experience is very simple. It was there that I learned to value people like God values people. That put people on a level that I had never placed them before. In my journey, number three, is what I call my Zig lesson. And that, my Zig lesson comes from my good friend, Zig Ziglar. And uh, he was a very popular motivational speaker when I was in my 20s. I heard him speak in Dayton, Ohio for the very first time. That Southern drawl, that easy way of connecting with people, walking around the stage, smiling. He was just an incredible connector with others. But that day, as I sat on the front row in that arena in Dayton, Ohio, Zig Ziglar said, if you'll help other people get what they want, literally, they'll help you get everything that you want or need in your life. And that's the day I realized that I needed to have a focus change because up until then, I valued people for what they could do for me. So come on, get on my leadership train. Let's, let's go on my leadership journey. Let's go take my leadership vision, my mountain. It was all about me. And Zig said, no, 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 if you're going to lead people well, it's not about you at all. It's all about them. Find them, lead them, help them, serve them, take care of them. He said, if you'll put others first, kind of sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? If you put others first, he said, I promise you, you'll get everything that you need in life. It reminds me of the Max, Matthew 6.33, seek first God's kingdom. And all other things will be added into you. It's, it's, it's understanding. My focus that day changed from it's all about me to it's all about people. This was a great values change in my life. I live that life today very much. I, I always first extend value to others. And what you focus on expands. And when I began to focus on others, they began to get bigger and better in my life and more important. And when I focused less on myself, I became less important, just exactly the way it should be. The lesson out of, that, out of this experience, here's my values lesson. Always put people first. Always. Always put people first. Always. Experience number four. I call this my uh, hot stove lesson. <laughs> I'll have to give you a Mark Twain qu uh, quote for you to kind of pick up on this one. Mark Twain said, if a cat sits on a hot stove, he said, that cat won't sit on a hot stove again. <laughs> a bad experience. But he said, that cat won't sit on a cold stove either. He said, that cat just don't like stoves. What was he saying? When a cat or you or me have a bad experience, there's a tendency for us to write it off, turn our back, say, I'll never do that again. I'll never get myself in that situation again and move as far away from that bad experience as possible. And I call this values lesson my, my hot stove lesson because when I was a young pastor, the first staff member that I poured into and mentored, I was so naive. I was just in my middle 20s, and I looked at him, and I said, we'll be together for life, and we'll change lives together for life. And I just, I gave him 100% of everything I had, poured myself into him, only to, after a couple years, have him totally mess his life up, totally betray myself, church, uh, had to fire him. The hurt was so deep 
that I just began to say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let this hurt ever happen again. This is, this is too heavy of a hurt. I'm, I'm not going through this again. And I made a decision, a bad decision, a wrong decision. I said, I'm just going to hold people at a distance. I'm never going to let them get close to me. I'm never going to be vulnerable, never going to be open. I'm just, you do your job, I'll do my job. We'll meet at the Christmas party kind of thing. And I did that for about six months. I hired a couple other staff members and said, this is your job, this is my job. Very professional, but, but you, know, you know, kept them away because, you see, I, I didn't want to get hurt again. About six months into that experience, I realized how foolish my decision was, how wrong it was, because I realized that the good news, if I hold people away from me, and I kind of, you know, maybe devalue them because I've had a bad experience with someone. The, you know, the good news is they couldn't hurt me because they didn't get close enough to hurt me. But the bad news is they couldn't help me. And I made a major decision. I'm going to be open and vulnerable and kind and generous to people. And yes, I'm, I'm going to get hurt again. I'm going to get hit. No question about it. But I would be rather be hurt occasionally and build into people's lives and get the best out of them. Because you see, if you let them close to you, they can give you, they'll give you the best. But as long as you hold them back, you, you never get the best from somebody that you never allow yourself to have a good, deep relationship with. So the, this was a major help for me in my values. And, and, and the values lesson with my hot stove lesson, the cat sitting on the hot stove, you won't forget that one. My values lessons are very simple. Don't allow a, a bad experience to become a lifetime experience. I watch people who 20, 30 years ago had a bad experience, bad marriage, bad relationship at work. They were done wrong. And, and instead of taking high road and forgiveness, they just put that bad experience on their back and it becomes a weight. They carry it all the other life. And I just learned that there are going to be people that would misuse me and abuse me and uh, disuse me. But, but it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Because the, 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 the benefits of, of valuing people, believing in people, helping people, letting them close into your life so far surpass the negatives in life. That was, that was a huge values lesson for me. On my values journey, number five was what I call my, my Enron lesson. And if some of you will remember the Enron scandal, uh, Enron was a, a company out of Houston, and uh, it was a major corporate scandal, and, and, and so much money was lost, and people in, in this company literally not only lost jobs, but lost pensions. Their money had been misused, manipulated, stolen. And, 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 uh, and then other corporate uh, uh, fraud and, and, and just deceit began to surface in America, and other companies and CEOs were in trouble. In fact, um, uh, in 2002 on Time Magazine, they had a, a lead article, a cover article called The Summer of Distrust. And I remember I was writing for Time Warner at the time, and Larry Kirschbaum, who was the head of the book division, called me up to New York City. We had a long dinner, and he said, John, I want you to, I want you to write a book on business ethics. I want you to really uh, do a book that helps people understand that you have to be ethical in your business. And, uh, and I said, well, I can't write a book on business ethics. And he went and said, well, look at Enron. and began to name Tyco, some of these other companies. And he said, look at these companies, John. What do you mean you can't write a book on business ethics? I said, well, I can't write a book on it. He said, why not? I said, because there's no such thing as business ethics. 
He said, what do you mean? I just gave you examples. I said, no, no, Larry, you don't understand. There's no such thing as business ethics. There's just ethics. You either have them or you don't. Now, if you have ethics, guess what? It works in business. Oh, happy day. It works in your community. It works in your family. It just works in every area of your life. And if you don't have ethics, they don't work in business, don't work in the family, don't work anywhere either. And he said, well, oh, I love that. In fact, he said, let's call the book, There's No Such Thing as Business Ethics. And we did. <coughs> and, and now it's called Ethics 101. And it won a lot of awards on ethics. But let me say this. That was a life changer for me. Because I asked myself, how can I write a book on ethics in a world that has no um, uh, foundation, that, that has no absolutes, that, that has no boundaries? Um, how, how could I do that? And after about a month of talking to my research, writing team, et cetera, we came up with the idea that we could do it. We could, we could write it on, on, on the golden rule, treat others as you want to be treated. And we researched it and we found that every religion, every culture in the world has a golden rule. And so we wrote literally the, the ethics book on the golden rule. But here's what was life-changing, life-changing to me. It's the first time that I understood the value of values. Because the golden rule is a great value. Treat others as you would want them to treat you. And it worked so well, all of a sudden the light bulb came on and said, I said, John, what you need to do is you need to center your leadership on values, training, and teaching. It began to be the catalyst for the transformation movement. It began to be the catalyst of what we do around the world right now. Because we've learned that if you just teach people good values, if people learn good values and begin to live out those good values, they become more valuable to themselves and they become more valuable to their neighbors and their community. Values lift people. But that was a turning point, again, when I realized that if you value people and you live good values, you have a major plus in your life to help people. And so that was a, a, an incredible lesson and, and my values lesson there that, I, that now is, is really core in my life. My values lesson with the Enron issue was that great values have a great return. I, I'll, I'll go to the bank on that. In fact, I would say to you, in, in wanting to be salt and light and be wanting to share your faith eventually with people and, and, aiming, and getting the credibility to have it, start with, with good values. Start with values that everybody understands, like the golden rule and buys into, and, and develop common ground and a bridge to them, which will allow you then to, to begin to be more salt and light into their life. Number six, my crossover experience. And, and, and uh, after 25 years pastoring, uh, my publisher told me that there were uh, business people and secular people were buying my book more than Christian people. And that was a shock to me. But, I, but in a moment after my shock, I felt right there in that Thomas Nelson uh, publishing board meeting, I felt definitely called to cross over and leave the pastorate and to go into the secular world and, and, and value people and teach them good values and connect with them and develop a bridge and relationship with them so that I could share my faith with them. And that's exactly what I did. I, I followed the Apostle Paul who said in the scriptures, I entered their world. That's exactly what I did. I entered their world and I tried to experience things from their point of view. I wish I had time to share with you the incredible life change that happened to me as far as valuing people when I just hung around lost people. I realize that these are, are good people. They're just lost. 
and I began to fall in love with them. And the more that I got closer to them, the closer, the closer I got to them, the more I realized how much I loved them. And I just want to talk to you about proximity for a moment, because let me tell you something. It's true. The closer you get to these people, the more that you really love them. But let me also say this, the farther away from them you are, the more you judge them. And, and here's a problem with the church it is, is we've, we've not connected. We've not been the salt light. We've not immersed ourselves into secular culture. We've not immersed ourselves in, in, into a community that is lost. And so therefore, we're away from them and, and we see them and their behaviors and, and we begin to, you know, be a little maybe judgmental of them instead of unconditionally love them. But, but proximity allows us, when, when you sit around the table and have a, a good open conversation with a person that even you disagree with, you begin to relationally become closer. This was life changing to me. I love lost people. You say, well, well could you define that? Yeah, I sure can. Everybody. I love lost people that their lifestyle is totally opposite of my lifestyle. Love them, love them, love them. Absolutely love them. Some of my best friends are as lost as a goose. Love them. The value lesson out of this was huge. And it, here it is. That proximity increases value. Jesus teaches us that. It says that when Jesus went with his disciples to the villages, and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. What happened? He had compassion on them. Watch this. Jesus went. Jesus saw. Jesus felt compassion. You don't get compassion for lost people by praying for them when you're distanced from them. You get compassion for lost people when you live with them and walk with them. And they become your friends. And you interact with them socially. And you care for them. Proximity helps you to in increase your value of how you look at people. Okay, number seven. I'm, I'm moving as quick as I can. My, number seven, got two more. Uh, my heart attack at 51. I was at our, our company Christmas party, had a heart attack. And um, as, they, as the ambulance came to get me, and I can remember them putting on my stretcher and carrying me out, Tim Elmore talked to me after this, uh, after this pretty harrowing experience. He said, John, he said, the thing that amazed all of us as you were leaving us as you would pass each one of us, you'd look at us and say, I love you. I just want you to know I love you. He said, here you are having a heart attack, maybe going to die, and all you want to do is tell all of us in the room that you love them. And, and, and this was a huge experience in my life, and, and I, I came close to losing my life. But fortunately, good doctors and God's grace, I, I, it was extended. But, but in the process of me having another lease on life and, and, and feeling such gratitude for a, you know, what, what I would call a second chance. The thing that I felt very strongly was God was saying to me, John, double up on your dad's advice. Remember what my dad's advice was when I graduated from college? Value people, believe in people, unconditionally love. He said, you got to start doubling up on it. And I did, and I have. And the values lesson there is very simple. I learned right then that the rest of my life, I needed to value people greatly and intentionally add value to them. In fact, it came out of that experience. I've never shared this before. You know, Pastor Kevin said, John, go on the inside. So I did. It came, it came out of this experience. came out of this experience. That I started using the expression, hi, my name is John, and I'm your friend. It came out of the fact that I realized my life was, was spared and extended for me to value people and add value to them. 
So I close with with the most important point of my values journey, and, and that is what I would call my Jesus walk. Because if you follow Jesus through the Gospels, the one thing, the one thing that stands out above everything else is how much Jesus valued people, and especially how much Jesus valued people that religious people didn't value. Zacchaeus, the Samaritan woman, the thief on the cross, outcast, woman caught in adultery. People that religious people wouldn't even associate. They just kind of wanted to judge and say, oh, you don't want to be around those people. I mean, there's Jesus all the time, hanging with them, loving them, talking to them, eating meals with them. You see, the woman taken in adultery, while the religious people brought her to Jesus, and, and <clears throat> while the religious people were writing her off, Jesus was speaking grace and forgiveness and was writing her into his story. He said, you, you've got to be in my story. <coughs> I, I've got to have you. I've got to have you in my story. This is a beautiful thing. What's happened to you today? Religious people, religious people write off. <coughs> Excuse me. Religious people write off who Jesus writes in to his story. Let, let me tell you something. I'm talking about us right now. Self-righteous people are seldom very self-aware. This is an observation that I have made and I've tried to help myself to be Jesus-like. People say, well, I want to be Christ-like. I said, that's very simple. Um, hang around with lost people and value them greatly and have a salt and light message for them. That's as Jesus-like as you can ever get. That's, that's what he asked us to do. That's what he was the example of it. But when I think of serving, uh, valuing people enough to serve him, I think of Jesus and, and, and I, I, in the upper room, in, in the upper room, Right before he was to go to the garden and right before he was to be crucified, he's with his disciples. And I'm just picking up in Luke chapter 22 and, and, and verses 24 through 27. Within minutes, they were bickering. Who, who's bickering? The disciples. Over who of them would end up to be the greatest? <laughs> but Jesus intervened and said, kings like to throw their weight around and people in authority like to give themselves fancy titles. He said, it's not going to be that way with you. Let the senior among you become the junior. Let the leader act as the servant. Who would you rather be? The one who eats the dinner or the one who serves the dinner? You'd rather eat the dinner and be served, correct? But I've taken my place among you as the one who serves. And then Jesus picked up a towel and he washed their feet. The values lesson I have here is that I want to be like Jesus I don't want to be a title leader. I want to be a towel leader. I want to pick up my towel. I want to wash your feet because I value you. As we look at where we are right now, not only America, but around the world, I want to just close with a, what I think is a very powerful thought. It's, it's helped me, and my name's John, and I'm your friend, and I, I think it'll help you also. I want to make three very true statements. We, we help people when we see that they're needy. We've all done that. See somebody that's needy, needy we go over and help them. And, 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 and we fix people when we see that they're broken. Oh, my gosh, their whole life is broken up. Let, let me see if I can go come over and, and, and kind of fix you up, pull you out of that ditch. So we help people when we see they're needy, and, and we fix people when we see they're broken. But we serve people when we value them. 
if I'm helping you and fixing you, to be honest with you, I have the upper hand. I'm, I'm kind of the whole one and you're not the whole one and I'm kind of a little bit above you and just be, I'm, I, and I get great satisfaction and help and helping people that are needy or are broken. But but there's a there's what I would call just an edge, just a uh, not a even a wrong edge, just kind of a positional edge. When I see people that are are, are needy and, and when I fix people that are broken, it's kind of like here I come and wow, I'm boy, they needed me. But the table turns completely over. When I see you and I serve you because of your value, when I serve you because I value you, that's when I pick up the towel. I, I'm not over you. I'm serving you. And I think there is a huge difference between those two. So I close my session and time with you and thank you, Kevin, for inviting me. And thank you, 12 Son. I love you, love you, love you. Prayer of blessing upon you and your church. But I close my teaching just, just very, very simply by saying to you, that's my journey. That's my journey of how I got to really value people. You have a journey. I don't know where it is, and I don't know what part of that journey you're on right now, but I know this. If you really want to be like Jesus, if you really want to honor his words and obey his teaching. Salt and light. Make things better. Make things brighter. If you do it because you're a Christian, there'll be an edge to you. If you do it just because you value people, there's never an edge. You never get tired of serving. Why? Because that's Jesus-like. And I want to be like Jesus and I know you do too. God bless. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.